We're living in really strange coronavirus times, aren't we? Everything seems sort of upside down and back to front. Uh, Football stadiums are empty, but last week I went out shopping and there was a queue of 100 metres with people with their trolleys lined up to get into a supermarket. Some of the popular businesses like cafes and uh, restaurants and pubs, they've closed down. But if you're someone who produces hand sanitizer or uh, toilet paper or even white goods, you're uh, going gangbusters because people need freezers in order to store all the food that they're getting into their homes. Uh, on the whole, people have been really careful with social distancing, except if you're at Bondi Beach, which they had to close last weekend because in true Australian fashion, everyone had just crammed in on a hot day. And there are also ironies. Um, People are being encouraged today not to go out anywhere, uh, to travel in their cars, and yet this week petrol has gone under a dollar a litre for the first time in 10 years. Underneath it all, it seems to me that there is fear and anxiety because of what the virus is bringing to us. Uh, We're coming face to face with our mortality, and especially if you're a male over the age of 70 years. It's raising questions for us. Uh, Questions about what what happens when we die. Uh, Is there something on the other side of the grave? And how could you know? They're questions that people have been asking for years, but they're really at the top of people's agendas right now. So this week, I consulted with an expert on death. Uh, Google, what I did was, I typed in this phrase, life after death options. And the first uh, article that came up was this one, seven eco-friendly options for your body after death. Now, let me say, I wasn't really looking for uh, an article on how to be tidy once a body has died. Uh, So I went back and I typed this in, spiritual life after death options. And a huge array of answers just popped up on my screen. Uh, Quantum physicists, they believe that our bodies die, but in some sense our consciousness continues on. They're all the religious options, uh, Buddhists or or Hindus who believe you could be reincarnated maybe a a million times over. There are the nihilists who argue that when you die, nothing happens after that. We just cease to exist. For the next couple of minutes, what I want to do is I want to focus on the Christian answer to those questions. Uh, What happens beyond the grave? How can you know? And particularly, I want to look at 1 Corinthians chapter 15 in the New Testament. Uh, It's it's a chapter that really does just wrestle with these questions of death, uh, the possibility of life after death, what that might look like together. It's the first part of the chapter picks up on the relationship between Jesus' death and ours, and then it starts to explore the implications of all that. What we discover in this chapter is that Jesus is the trailblazer when it comes to life after death. In 1 Corinthians 15 verse 20 we read this. Christ has been indeed raised from the dead. He is the first fruits of those who've fallen asleep. Jesus has been raised from the dead. In the first part of the chapter it talks about the fact that he actually died. He was actually buried And he actually rose. And there are plenty of witnesses who saw him once he'd been raised from the dead. 
Later on in the first half of 1 Corinthians 15, it says if Jesus wasn't raised from the dead and Christians believe it's true, then Christians are idiots. And in fact, they're to be pitied. But that's the baseline here. Jesus has been raised from the dead. But here he's described as the first fruits. A little while ago, I was listening on the radio to an interview that was conducted with a strawberry farmer just south of Adelaide. He was making the point that uh, the strawberry season goes from roughly November to May. So November is when he picks his first strawberries, uh, first fruits, and then he keeps going until the crop stops producing. Jesus, we're being told here, rose from the dead, and he is the first fruits. He's the one who was the first to win the battle with death, but he's not the only one. The promise is that the rest of us will follow in due course. In verse 23 of 1 Corinthians 15, it says this, In Christ, all will be made alive, but each in their turn. Christ, the first fruits, and then when he comes, those who belong to him. Uh, Jesus was raised, that's a past event, We will be raised in the future, future event, and we live in this present age. But we live securely between Jesus' actual resurrection and the promise of our own. In World War II, in the European conflict, D-Day occurred on the 6th of June, 1944. That was the invasion of Normandy. Now, at that time, all the experts say that the uh, war in Europe was essentially won. And yet it wasn't until the 8th of May, 1945, when there was VE Day, that's victory in Europe. Uh, That's when the warfare ceased. Uh, What you had was this 11-month period between when the the victory was guaranteed and when it was finalised. Jesus has secured our victory over death by his being raised from the dead. And we will see that being worked out in the future and we look forward to that day but of course it raises uh, a stack of questions all sorts of questions here's the one that the corinthian church were asking Uh, 1 corinthians 15 verse 35 but someone may ask how are the dead raised with what kind of body will they come Christian hope is that, like Jesus, we're going to experience a a bodily resurrection, uh, be raised ourselves from death. That idea clashed with the Greek philosophical view of the first century, the one that the Corinthian church was embedded in. Uh, The culturally popular view at the time was that when you died, you left your body behind and in some sense, your soul or your spirit soared and separated from the body, and that was far better. The Greeks of the time, they didn't want to hang on to their bodies. They figured they'd be much better off if they escaped from their bodies. And I think that's essentially the sort of view that Western Australians have uh, in the 21st century. That is, if you believe in life after death, generally it's a disembodied Uh, sort of spiritual existence somewhere, but it's all pretty vague. Uh, Paul was saying Christians will be raised bodily from the dead, just like Jesus was. But it does raise a question, doesn't it? I mean, what what sort of body do we get? Like, you might be a bit like the Greeks and think, 
I wouldn't mind leaving this body behind. You know, it's getting old, uh, the joints are creaking, or maybe you've got some sickness that's degenerative and and you'd be quite happy to get rid of it. Or, Or maybe you think, on the other hand, getting a new body sounds like a good idea and you're wondering if you couldn't put in an order for something special. The question that was being asked was, with what sort of body will they come? And on the one hand, Paul immediately responds by saying, don't be so foolish. Uh, But then he helpfully goes on and tries to give some clues or some parameters around what our resurrected bodies will be like. So firstly, in, in verse 20, he says, we should learn from nature. Jesus is the first fruits. Think back to the, uh, the strawberry farmer I mentioned a little while ago. Uh, I want you to imagine that the interview went something like this. Uh, the strawberry farmer is asked about the strawberry season, and he says, yes, first strawberries pop up in November. But then he said, we sit on the edge of our seats and we wonder uh, what sort of fruit's going to come next. Like, we've got strawberries, but will we get grapefruits or bananas or maybe watermelons? Now, of course, that'd just be dumb, and no farmer would ever think that way. But that's the point that Paul's making here. Christ is the first fruits, and when we get raised, we'll be raised in a way that has the same sort of character as the body that Jesus was raised with. He goes on in verses 36 and 37. What you sow doesn't come to life unless it dies. And when you sow, you don't plant the body that will be just a seed. Death is the gateway to new life. Uh, And just like the seed is related to a plant of wheat that grows up, so the planting of our dead bodies, to put it that way, will have a relationship to what emerges with a resurrected body but they may look quite startlingly different. Verses 38 to 41. Uh, Paul goes on to talk about the way God is the the grand designer and gives creatures bodies that are suitable for the environment they're in. So God's created the universe and the stars are suitable for their environment and space. Uh, But you take a human being and put them into space and we die because there's no oxygen. We've been made for this world, and we flourish here. Now, goldfish, they're terrific at swimming in water, but they're lousy at running on land. Uh, They're they're water breathers. They would die straight away. Uh, It's the same when it comes to resurrected bodies. We'll have bodies that are suited for a future with God. In verses 42 through to 44, uh, Paul starts talking about the contrast between the The bodies we have now and the bodies we'll have then. He says in verse 42, right now we have a a perishable body. Uh, One day all our bodies are just going to fall apart and decompose. And people will come to your funeral and my funeral if um, social distancing and isolation allows it at the time. But then we're going to be raised imperishable, new body, no decline, No decay. In verse 43, we're told right now we have weak bodies. Uh, We catch cold. Uh, We get sicknesses, uh, viruses. I I went to a heart specialist last week and he told me I needed to take statins to get my cholesterol down so my heart wouldn't clog up and I get a few more years out of it. But in due course, I will have a powerful body 
No need for chemicals. No need for a chemist. No need for doctors. Uh, That's the reality. In verse 44, we have a natural body, one that's suited to this world, but in due course we'll have a spiritual body. Uh, He's not talking about having a disembodied existence at that point, but a body that's powered by the Holy Spirit and suitable for relationship with God. In verse 45, we're told right now we have dishonourable bodies. And that's the reality. I do dishonour God uh, with the body that I have now. I sin. But then I will have a glorious body. I'll be raised up with none of the markers of sin and its corruption and infection in my life. You see, this, this is the Christian hope. The hope that we won't be disembodied and float around in some sort of spiritual state, but that we'll have transformed and glorious bodies that are wonderfully suited for a relationship with God. So the question I now want to ask, just as I wrap things up for a few minutes, is is what does this mean for us right now? Uh, Currently we're in a situation where there are really high levels of anxiety and uncertainty. And it's not just uh, in relation to our health. Uh, People are feeling it socially, personally, economically. But this part of the Bible, it provides some really secure anchor points and confidence in difficult times. Firstly, there's a day coming when death will be destroyed. There's a group called Dying with Dignity and essentially they're a pro-euthanasia group. And let me say, I'm totally in favour of great compassion and care for the sick and dying. But in my experience... There is nothing dignified about death, no matter how it's packaged. Uh, Just a few weeks ago, I was sitting with a man in his hospital bed dying of cancer. Uh, When I arrived, he couldn't move, he couldn't speak, he couldn't eat. Uh, All he could do when I got to his bedside was smile. And I read the Bible with him, I held his hand, I prayed with him. And that night, uh, he died. Over the years, I've sat with lots of families who've been going through grief. Uh, Families who've had stillborn children. A family who'd lost a 21-year-old in a motorbike accident. Families who were grieving at the loss of ageing parents. And in the coming days, I expect that I'm going to sit with a number of people who are grieving uh, because loved ones have died through the coronavirus. In 1 Corinthians 15, verse 26, death is described as the last enemy. And it is. But Jesus, he rose from the dead, D-Day. And when he returns, it will be victory day. Death will be no more. And I am looking forward to that day. Second thing I want to say is, just we finish up, is it means we have no fear of death if your trust is in Jesus. In verses 54 and 55 of this chapter, we're told that death has been swallowed up in victory. 
Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? Uh, I'm married to Sue, and Sue has a great allergy to bees and to wasps. Uh, if she gets stung by one of those, we have to rush her straight to a hospital because it can kill her. Now, if she knew that bees and wasps had been de-stung, that is, their stingers had been pulled out, and they were flying around her, she would no longer fear them. Right? She would treat them just like she would flies. Uh, annoying, but not fatal. Now, I, for one, I'm not looking forward to the process of dying. Death is still a horrible enemy. But can I say, if you put your trust in Jesus, then his death deals with your sin. His resurrection proves his power to forgive you and to raise you to life as well. And it gives us a wonderful security as we think about the future. But finally, uh, let me say that the main point of this chapter is not to provide a divine insurance policy for when you die. Uh, The other day, Sue and I were clearing out a uh, filing cabinet at home and we came across the wills that we had drawn up for ourselves about 30 years ago. But that's what wills are like. Uh, You get them done, you put them away, and the only reason they get pulled out again is when someone else, you know, when you or someone else dies. Uh, That's the triggering event for a will coming into operation. The resurrection of Jesus and ours in the future, it's not like that. Uh, It totally transforms the way you think about life right now. That's why the chapter, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, it finishes the way it does. Verse 58. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourself fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labour for the Lord is not in vain. I understand, I think all of us do, the fear and the anxiety that have gripped the hearts of people right now. Uh, But who would have thought a month ago that we'd have people fighting over toilet paper in supermarkets? Who would have thought that there'd be such a massive loss of jobs in our society right now? Uh, Plans for the future have been thrown up into total chaos. Jesus has been raised from the dead. And what we've been told is don't be, don't be short-sighted. Uh, trust in him uh, for your security for the future. And not only that, think about how you serve him now. It says your labour for the Lord is not in vain. And honestly, a lot of what we're anxious about right now, a lot of what we're fearful of losing, it won't last into eternity. But your labour for the Lord, it will. It's not in vain. So what's that labour for the Lord? It's especially talking about the things that we do and say that, that commend Jesus to others. And what will that look like? Well, stand firm. Uh, If you're like me, then your head's been spinning these last couple of weeks. I felt like every morning I've woken up and just been making countless what seemed like really big decisions all day and fallen exhausted into bed, only to wake up the following morning and discover that most of the decisions I made the previous day were no longer relevant because everything had changed overnight. And there's so much going on that's thrown our worlds into chaos. Because of the resurrection of Jesus in our own, we're being told, stand 
firm. Uh, be secure. How do you do that? Friends, you keep reading your Bible. You keep remembering who God is. You keep remembering that he rules the world. And you pray. Uh, Philippians 4 says, cast all your anxiety on him. Uh, don't be anxious about anything. Trust him in prayer. In 1 Peter 5, it talks about knowing that he cares for us. Uh, keep praying in these times. If you've got family, uh, how do you labour for the Lord for them? It seems to me that kids are so vulnerable. They know something's going on. It's really important as parents to be talking to them about the issues. But they're looking to you to stand firm. Uh, they're looking to you uh, to assure them of God's promises, to keep reading the Bible with them, to pray, for them to know that your trust is firm and rock solid in these difficult times. And then your anxiety that you're trusting in God. How do we care for our, our neighbours? Uh, maybe now's the time to actually build connections with people you don't know. Uh, maybe set up a WhatsApp group so you can all stay connected over this time and those relationships, maybe they'll continue into the future. You might run a small business. Uh, if you're a boss, uh, you have the wonderful opportunity to show the grace and mercy to the workers around you and to care for them and to be generous towards them. God has placed you in your neighbourhood. He's placed you in your family. He's put you in your particular office situation, your church, in your marriage. And he's placed you there for a time such as this. Because Jesus was raised from the dead, and he will raise you to life if you put your trust in him. Stand firm. Let nothing move you. Give yourself fully to the work of the Lord because you know that your labour in the Lord is not in vain. Let me just pray for us. Heavenly Father, we do ask that you'll help us to trust your word uh, to confidently know the promises you've made, that you've secured them by raising Jesus from the dead and therefore guaranteed life for us with you forever. And Father, we pray that you'll help us to stand firm, knowing that as we labour for you, that's not in vain. Help us to be faithful when chaos is raging around us as we look to you for security and confidence. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.